Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Here, our number 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. The Russians continue to slaughter innocents, and I will get to that later in the program. In our own country, the CEO of Disney has been over backwards. And has just uh, surrendered himself completely to an extraordinarily radical and aggressive movement. The LGBTQI plus or whatever community. Used to be live and let live. What goes on in your bedroom is nobody's business, but not anymore. It must be taught to five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, and eight-year-olds. According to Disney Corporation, according to its current CEO and its former CEO, Iger, according to various producers at Disney, various executives at Disney, that is the new mission of the family-friendly parks, movies, books, television. And I want you to hear this for yourself. And I think the American people have had about enough of this. I really do. Here's Bob Chapek, Disney CEO. Cut one, go. By now, I hope you've all read my most recent note, in which I pledge to be a better ally for the LGBTQ plus community. Apologize for not being the ally that you needed me to be and committed to ensuring that our company lives up to its values. I meant every word, and that's what we're here to talk about today. 
I know that we've got work to do, and that work starts with listening. I'm glad the company will hear from today's panel of LGBTQ plus employees, and I hope that you are as impacted as I've been by the voices that I've heard over the past few weeks. I've read many emails that have been sent, spoken with LGBTQ plus employees and their allies, met with advocacy groups, and convened my own leadership team. And I have been taken by the honesty, the openness, and the urgency of their stories. I want you to know that your words have made a real impact on me. I understand that we've made mistakes and the pain that those mistakes have caused. And I know that our silence wasn't just about the bill in Florida, but about every time an individual or institution that should have stood up for this community did not. I and the leadership team are determined to use this moment as a catalyst for more meaningful and lasting change. Do you notice that most of the focus here is entirely in environments that involve little children? Isn't that what Disney is all about? Obviously older kids too, but for the most part, they're focused on elementary school age children and even pre-elementary age school children. And that the focus of the Biden administration, elementary school children, the focus of the Secretary of HHS, elementary school children, the focus of the NEA and the AFT, two of the most radical organizations in America, little children, elementary school children, preschool children. This isn't about the rights of adults and their private parts. This is about protecting little kids from these corporatists, from governmental officials, from politicians, pushing a radical agenda. It is a radical agenda. Brainwashing little kids, creating psychological issues, exposing them to sex and sexuality at the age of five, six, seven, and eight. This isn't about don't say gay. It's about keep your mouth shut in front of my kid. Whether you're straight, gay, or whatever the hell you are. It's about protecting the children. And the CEO of Disney has just announced he has no intention of protecting little children. He has no intention of keeping them out of this propaganda and this ideology that in fact they intend to be at the forefront of it because in more than half a century children and their children and children of those children have embraced the Disney brand the Disney brand no thanks to the LGBTQ plus community no thanks to this latest corporatist Bob Chapek. This is about protecting the minds of little ones, little babies. This is about protecting parental rights. Now you folks have a choice. 
You have a choice whether to participate in this or not. We're not talking about government-run public schools now. We're talking about Disney. You have a choice. Whether to go to Disneyland or Disney World, whether to continue to have the Disney Channel on your television, whether to watch their products or not, you have a choice now. And if you want to protect your little babies from being sexualized with the ideology of a relative small group of people and corporatists, who wish to impose a viewpoint on your children, who wish to introduce your children to sexuality at a very, very young age, which is so damn unhealthy. You have a choice. This has always been the intention of the hard left, the Marxist left, to manipulate at a very young age So by the time your children are teenagers, and by the time the teenagers are young people, and by the time they're young people, they're they're middle-aged adults, that they're good servants of the country, the country that they intend to control. That is the government. You wonder why religion is pushed out of the public square, but transgenderism is pulled into the public square? You wonder why the Pledge of Allegiance is pushed out of the classroom, but the pledge to transgenderism and critical race theory is pushed into the classroom? You need wonder no more. You need wonder no more. The American people have not asked for this. The American people don't want this. The people who are sabotaging this country, as brilliantly written the other day, are the self-appointed elitists. Whether they run corporations, whether they run school systems, whether they run the Democrat Party, whether they run a media outlet, whether they run a think tank, these people are the saboteurs of the American system. These people are undermining the family and faith. These people are destroying Americanism. Meanwhile, when you ask them to educate your children, they do a lousy job, a rotten job. Latoya Ravenel, a Disney executive producer doing an internal re-image tomorrow forum. Cut two, go. I identify as like a biromantic asexual. I've had a lot. So what? So what? Why do I care what you identify as? Do I run around and say what I identify as? Just do your damn job. I mean it, ladies and gentlemen. I identify as, I am. Just do your damn job. Go ahead. I identify as like a biromantic asexual. I've had And I don't even know what a biromantic asexual is. All these these weird thoughts and ideas, and may I say perversions. Biromantic asexual, Mr. Producer. What the hell is that? 
This guy brought it up. I have every right to give an opinion and ask a question. If he didn't bring it up, I wouldn't have an opinion or ask a question. I don't know what he's talking about. And why does it matter? Unless these viewpoints are imposed on your five-year-old. Go ahead. Of learning and growing about myself this year, kind of facilitated by how comfortable I felt on the Proud family and with my immediate team at Disney TVA. And so it's just sort of like this creative dissonance between my personal experience where I feel so safe and so supported. I mean, like I wasn't like in the closet, but like I'm real out now, but like, and like outside of my team, outside of TVA, it's just, it, it feels like the things that we believe that we're trying to put into the shows are not what we're seeing in the real world. And yeah, it leaves you in a weird space. I'm still thinking like, I want to use my content to like go deeper, like talk about how non-monolithic the LGBTQ plus community as an asexual, as an asexual. Like, it's just like, I feel like a lot of people don't know what that is. I have to like have a dissertation ready at any given time. I want to like add the the pockets of the LGBTQ community that you don't see. I was like, I want to get like gay advanced. And then I realized like, oh, we need to go back to like gay 101. Okay, I have no idea what he's, he or she is rambling on about none. But I'm very glad that's a Disney executive producer, aren't you, Mr. Producer? Cut three, go. The showrunners were super welcoming. Meredith Roberts and, like, the, the our leadership over there has been so welcoming to, like, my, like, not-at-all-secret gay agenda. And so, like, I, I feel like I felt like it was, I mean, like, maybe it was that way in the past, but I guess, like, something must have happened in the last... Like, like they are turning it around, they're going hard. And then all that like momentum that I felt like that sense of, I don't have to be afraid to like, let's have these two characters kiss. Let's in the background, like I was just wherever I could just basically adding queerness to like, the, if you see anything queer in the show, I'm proud of them. But like, I, I just was like, no one would okay, stop that's me. Enough. That's enough. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, I'm here to talk to you about something very serious. Have you felt something changing in our country? That too many people no longer identify themselves as Americans first, but instead group themselves by race, class, or sex? That we're losing the common idea of justice, the melting pot that unites us. I'm talking about citizenship, folks. And if we lose the idea of citizenship, then we don't have a country. But there's something you can do. Get educated and then teach others. And my friends at Hillsdale College can show you the way. Hillsdale's new free course on American citizenship will help you learn about what's happening and why. The course is taught by our friend, Dr. Victor Davis Hansen, who will equip you to help restore our country. You can sign up for free at levinforhillsdale.com. You'll learn about topics like the history of citizenship, the deep state, and even the Great Reset. Please sign up today to take Hillsdale's free course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. Carrie Burke, not to be outdone, as Disney corporate president. Disney corporate president. And uh, we want to give a hat tip to Chris Rufo for gathering up these things. And during this internal re-imaging tomorrow form, she says in part this, cut for a go. When I was at Freeform, 
Um, it was very much in the brand ethos of Freeform to be the tip of the spear when it comes to inclusion. And um, and we, like you, Latoya, I mean, we jumped up and down. We celebrated that. Nobody stopped okay, us. Okay, 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 okay. Inclusion? Are they including evangelical Christians? Are they including Orthodox Jews? Are they including Muslims? Who are they including? They talk about exclusion. I'd like to know, any evangelicals of note been asked to participate in this? Any leading Orthodox Jewish individuals or groups? Or Muslim individuals and groups? Have they been asked to participate in this? I don't think so. They talk about inclusion. They don't mean inclusion. They mean indoctrination. Go ahead. Start at the top, please. When I was at Freeform, um, it was very much in the brand ethos of Freeform to be the tip of the spear when it comes to inclusion. And um, and we, like you, Latoya, I mean, we jumped up and down. We celebrated that. Nobody stopped us. And and it felt great. And and in part, I, I think nobody stopped us because we were, um, you know, we were targeting Gen Z and, and millennials. We were tar- targeting a younger, um, I, I think, more open-minded. Um, and, oh, and yes, now- yes. We have to target younger and younger and younger because they're very open-minded, you know. The complete politicization of Disney by these executives by these producers, by these directors, and more, has destroyed the entire purpose of Disney. You want to create a propaganda mill, then go start your own company. Now, Disney is a public company. It has investors. We call them shareholders, ladies and gentlemen. There's some huge shareholder entities that, that own big chunks of Disney. And most of them are quite radical left. But you have a right, if you look at Chapter 7 of American Marxism, if you own any shares at Disney, whether through mutual funds, IRAs, 401ks, or whatever, or choose to buy a handful, to show up at their shareholder meetings and be heard. But I won't be stepping one foot in their park ever again. It's a damn shame how they've destroyed Walt Disney's entire purpose and his life's work. I'll be right back. Folks, I'm here to talk to you about something very serious. Have you felt something changing in our country, that too many people no longer identify themselves as Americans first, but instead group themselves by race, class, or sex? That we're losing the common idea of justice, the melting pot that unites us. I'm talking about citizenship, folks. And if we lose the idea of citizenship, then we don't have a country. But there's something you can do. Get educated and then teach others. And my friends at Hillsdale College can show you the way. Hillsdale's new free course on American citizenship will help you learn about what's happening and why. The course is taught by our friend, Dr. Victor Davis Hansen, who will equip you to help restore our country. You can sign up for free at levinforhillsdale.com. You'll learn about topics like the history of citizenship, the deep state, and even the Great Reset. 
Please sign up today to take Hillsdale's free course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. Liberty's Voice, Mark Levin. Talk with that voice now, 877-381-3811. So, of course, if you try to protect your your little ones, your own little kids, from all of this, there's something wrong with you. No, there isn't. There's going to be a backlash to all this. If not, we're doomed. If we're not, we are doomed. Now, Cole Hannah-Jones, in my view, is a fraud, a phony, and a radical leftist who's pushed false history with the support of the New York Times. Of course, as you know, if you listen to this program, the New York Times has a habit of being an incredibly destructive and dangerous force. Ask the Ukrainians. Ask the Holocaust survivors. Ask the Cubans who were lucky enough to escape Castro. Ask them. Nicole Hannah-Jones is on something called CNN Plus with somebody called Chris Wallace. Let's take a listen. Cut 21, go. And to say that they... They were 20, 30-year-olds. The country was brutally suppressing blacks, but the greatest generation wasn't. Well, they were. (laughs) No, they weren't. You're telling me that a a kid uh, coming off a farm in Indiana or a kid who came from Brooklyn... Is was suppressing so Indiana black had people? the largest population of the Klan in the United States. The Klan was re was I understand, but that wasn't the twenty year old kid who you don't think twenty year olds were in the Klan. You don't think twenty year olds were? Funny? I don't think many of them were. No. I, I mean, I don't know what evidence you have of that. Well, what evidence that do you have that they were? Since I didn't argue us. that they were. You're saying what they were. You said many of this generation was brutally suppressing democracy for millions of Americans, and that's factually inaccurate how many of that generation were um do you think that the only people you think, that's, you think that you're i'm just asking go ahead you think that's a broad a broad brush that you're willing to paint the 20 and 30 year olds who defended democracy i'm not talking about the leaders i'm not talking about the laws i'm not talking about the country i'm talking about the young people who risked their lives for instance on the beaches of normandy they were brutally suppressing african-americans um one, I think it's a it's a strange point to parse. Two, I don't Why? I don't think of a thirty year old. Was. A thirty year old is not a young person. Uh, a thirty year old is a fully grown person who can serve in Congress, who can be the mayor, who can act, enact laws. Hey, the and vast policies. majority of twenty and thirty year olds, the vast majority of white people, the vast majority of all people, were not members of the Klan. Okay. The vast majority of the people in the United States, even in the South, never owned slaves. Okay? Doesn't excuse it. But a little bit of truth would help with Nicole Hannah-Jones. Cut 22, go. 
we wouldn't parse this, I think, if we were talking again about another country and say, well, well, yes, the government was violently suppressing, but but everyone else, um, they weren't. They were glorious. You don't you don't do that. This is a, an argument about what our country was allowing. These were countrymen and they were fighting, by the way, in a Jim Crow military. They were fighting in a in a army in the Navy, where black people were segregated, uh, where black people didn't even have equal rights in the military they were serving in. And we all allowed this. I, I don't understand this, this trying to parse off who gets guilt or who does not. We all allowed this. I'll give you an example. Harvard today is discriminating against Asians. As a group, Asian students who are filing applications to get into a Harvard college have better grades and better test scores than most other ethnic groups. Why? Because they keep these stats. But Harvard is practicing a form of affirmative action, and therefore Asians are being discriminated against the way Jews have been discriminated against. How do I stop that, Mr. Producer? It went to federal court, I believe it's in the Supreme Court now, but it went to federal court and the court upheld it. How do I stop that? And how come Nicole Hannah-Jones never mentions that? Never. She talks about the United States military. The United States military is all over the world now. Defending people who don't look white in many places. Who are not Christians in many places. Like in the Middle East. Like in Asia. Like in Africa. What about that? Our borders are wide open. But even when they're not, our immigration policies have enabled more people to come into this country from the third world who are not white. Which is changing the demographics of the country. In fact, Obama and Biden have celebrated that in recent past. What about that? What about all the 20 and 30 year olds, not to mention 15 year olds and 18-year-olds and 60-year-olds who fought in the Civil War and the 300,000 casualties on the side of the Union. In the greatest war in American history, when it comes to casualties, what about it? When the vast majority of the men who fought that war didn't own slaves, whether they were with the North or the South. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. The falsehoods of the 1619 Project are well documented. All you have to do is Google it by great scholars who are historians. And the misrepresentations, the purposeful misrepresentations of American history. Nobody denies that slavery existed. Why would you? 
What we deny and reject is the Marxism that attaches to it now and seeks to destroy every aspect of our history. We reject that. You know, ladies and gentlemen, the first draft of the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson, a slave owner who who despised slavery, and this terrible contradiction did exist, tried to end it going forward. He was 33 years old. He was in Philadelphia. He drafted the first and subsequent copies, uh, uh, versions of the Declaration. A committee reviewed it and so forth. But they were already at war with Great Britain. And they didn't believe that they could afford to lose a single state. There were two states in particular that that were aggressively opposed to any changes when it came to slavery. And they, they were Georgia and South Carolina. But in his initial draft, Jefferson wrote, in part, he, meaning the monarch, has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him, captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere, or to incur miserable death in their transportation hither. He's talking about Africans. It's often said the British eliminated slavery long before the United States. It's true. But they were in the business of capturing Africans and shipping them into their colonies, especially the United States. Jefferson went on to call the institution of slavery piratical warfare and an assemblage of horrors. He then criticized the crown. He said, criticizing the crown for exciting those very people to rise in arms among us and to purchase that liberty of which he has deprived them by murdering the people on whom he also obtruded them, thus paying off former crimes committed against the liberties of one people with crimes which he urges them to commit against the lives of others. His point being, He's referring to 1775 proclamation by Britain's Lord Dunmore, which offered freedom to any enslaved person in American colonies who volunteered to serve in the British Army against the Patriot Revolt. And that inspired thousands of enslaved people to seek liberty behind British lines during the Revolution. And so he's saying on the one hand, they imported slaves into the United States, and then on the other hand, they encouraged them to rise up against the people who are rising up against them. So why didn't the founders abolish slavery right out of the box? A fellow by the name of John Rowe put an interesting piece together. First of all, they didn't think they could make the change overnight, and it was clearly the case, given the fact that some of these states would have pulled out. John Jay, who never owned a slave and was anti-slave and was the first Chief Justice of the United States and one of the authors 
the Federalist Papers, although he didn't author that many, recalls the long and tragic history of slavery in the colonies and suggests that something so entrenched in society will only sow more chaos if eradicated with a snap of a finger. They feared a slave rebellion, as the kind I just mentioned. And in fact, in Haiti, they saw that. A revolution took place where the slaves rose up. And they feared that. You don't have to agree with all this. I'm giving you history. The main reason is they wanted the United States to remain united. And Georgia and South Carolina were going to bolt. In fact, they so valued the practice, they announced their intention to split from the other states if slavery had been banned. And the founders feared that a divided America would transform the United States not into a country, but into a place that could easily collapse. And they wanted the United States to remain united. But the founders did implement some measures that would quell slavery's spread. I'll bet you never heard of Article 6 of the Northwest Ordinance of 1787. Article 6. Banned slavery in the Northwest Territory and all its eventual states. And it would eventually become the template for the 13th Amendment to the Constitution. Banning slavery. And they would continue to pass anti-slavery legislation, including the, sa- the Slave Trade Acts of 1794 and 1800, and the Act prohibiting the importation of slaves, that's what it was called, later signed by President Jefferson in 1808. Jefferson thought that these measures might have an immediate impact, but they didn't. The spirit of the master is abating, Jefferson said, that of the slave rising from the dust is condition mollifying the way I hope preparing under the auspices of heaven for a total emancipation. And they thought this would suffocate slavery's spread. But it took much longer. It took much longer. And they did other things in the Constitution. When the South insisted on counting slaves as individuals for the person of a portion, for the purpose of apportionment, the North said, the abolitionists said, you can't, you can't do that. You treat them like chattel and then you want to count them as people to empower yourselves in the Congress. That's where the three-fifth compromise came in. And in the Constitution, the elimination of the importation of slaves by 1820. They had a big problem with Britain. It was a, still a relatively big country, and they couldn't control their borders. And Britain was taking advantage of it uh, to undermine the new nation as well. Now, I can go on and on about this. Maybe one day I will, but I won't now. It's a far more complex history than most of you have been taught, or most of the media will explain. Certainly not a defense of slavery, which is really the most repulsive thing you can do to another human being, short of just torturing them and slaughtering them. But in many ways, that is the definition of slavery, isn't it? And my people, my ancestors, were well aware of slavery. And they had slaves in Greece, 
Rome, said the Middle East. Today there's slavery in Asia and the Middle East and in places in Africa. And of course, communist China is a slave state that all of these corporations are happy to do business with. I'll be right back. Folks, I'm here to talk to you about something very serious. Have you felt something changing in our country? That too many people no longer identify themselves as Americans first, but instead group themselves by race, class, or sex? That we're losing the common idea of justice, the melting pot that unites us. I'm talking about citizenship, folks. And if we lose the idea of citizenship, then we don't have a country. But there's something you can do. Get educated and then teach others. And my friends at Hillsdale College can show you the way. Hillsdale's new free course on American citizenship will help you learn about what's happening and why. The course is taught by our friend, Dr. Victor Davis Hansen, who will equip you to help restore our country. You can sign up for free at levinforhillsdale.com. You'll learn about topics like the history of citizenship, the deep state, and even the Great Reset. Please sign up today to take Hillsdale's free course at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. Nicole Hannah-Jones and those who push this ideology and critical race theory, which is a Marxist theory, have done nothing for black men and women in this country. Black Lives Matter has done nothing for black men and women in this country. Nothing. Abraham Lincoln died as a result of his position on the Civil War and especially slavery. Just remember, less than 25% of the white people in the South owned slaves. Less than 5% in areas of the North. It's horrible. Please don't get me wrong. But the vast majority of the people in this country knew it was wrong. And they did something about it. Something big. That almost no other country's ever done. Abraham Lincoln did more than Nicole Hannah-Jones... And her radical left ilk, it's going to have to wait, Rich. And her radical left ilk did more than all of them put together by ending slavery. He embraced America's founding. He embraced America's framers. He quoted from the Declaration of Independence, the first sentence of which Katanji Brown Jackson rejects. He embraced the Constitution and quoted from the Constitution. He loved America. And he explained that without the framers of the Constitution and without the Declaration of Independence, there would have been no moral basis, official moral basis for ending slavery in America. That the men who wrote the Declaration of Independence, and died to defend it. The vast majority of them knew that slavery was wrong, and they set the wheels in motion 
for their children and grandchildren to accomplish what they were incapable of accomplishing. And that's what they did. That's what they did. That's Abraham Lincoln, who Nicole Hannah-Jones also trashes. And they trash Martin Luther King because he didn't believe in critical race theory either. Enough. We'll move on. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Oh, yes, yes, yes. And, of course, the greatest threat we face today, somebody like Rand Paul, you see, because... Kentanji Brown Jackson had to wait 15 minutes for his vote while the rest of the senators had voted. And by the way, this is fairly typical. You do understand there's not a vacancy yet on the Supreme Court. Do you realize that, America? Judge Jackson doesn't even have a, a seat to sit on in the U.S. Supreme Court because Stephen Breyer hasn't left yet. Yet they confirmed her in record time in the modern period. There were days, we're reminded, when these were kind of just easily done without hearings, voice votes, and so forth. But, you know, that's like 120 years ago. Not anymore. The Democrats have destroyed the entire confirmation process. But they want you to know that really they've destroyed it, but only for Republicans, not Democrats. And what was done to poor Judge Jackson is just unacceptable. Unacceptable. And of course, it was only done to her because she was black. And the Republicans lost their opportunity to participate in a historic moment. Now, their opposition to Clarence Thomas wasn't because he was black. It's because, well, he's an originalist. Their opposition to a host, maybe a score of minority candidates nominated by Republican presidents have nothing to do with race. No, 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 no. It's that they lack empathy. They lack empathy to be judges. They're right-wingers. It doesn't matter if they're, quote-unquote, historic nominations. They're, quote-unquote, controversial nominations. But if the Republicans object to the radicalism of Kentaji Brown-Jackson, they're now giving her the initials KBJ. You know, it's very cool. 
Well then, it's purely racism. It's what was done to her was vile. I'm thinking, what was done to her? She was asked questions about her rulings, which are appalling, which are weak on child pornography. Pornographers and those who use child pornography. I thought she got it pretty easy, to be, to be perfectly honest with you. No, no. This was historic, and they made it hysteric. Oh. Yes. But it was appalling what was done to Kataji Brown Jackson, KBJ. Yes, absolutely. Meanwhile, we'll keep trashing Clarence Thomas, demand that he recuse that. No, that he resign. Nay, that he be impeached. That the second black person on the Supreme Court is no damn good. He's got to go. He's not historic, of course, but KBJ, she's historic. Unbelievable, fantastic, and nobody knows better than Susan Collins, who interviewed her for 90 minutes and said she vetted her through that interview, and everybody knows Susan Collins knows best. And I don't remember. I don't. Nicole Hannah-Jones defending Clarence Thomas. I don't remember her defending any minority candidates nominated by any Republican. No. What's that all about? Their minds have been colonized by the white dominant society. And how dare Republicans ask her about her rulings? How dare they ask her about her support for critical race theory, which undermines the whole American enterprise? How dare they ask her what a woman is? How offensive. It was verbal racism, ladies and gentlemen. Verbal racism. And then there's Tim Scott, a black man from South Carolina. How dare he be a Republican? A black man from South Carolina. And he couldn't even bring himself to vote for this historic nominee. What kind of a black man is he? Absolutely unacceptable. He too has had his mind colonized by the white man. As the critical race theory lore goes. Well, let's first listen to what Kamala Harris had to say. About all this today, cut eight, go. So indeed the road toward our more perfect union is not always straight, and it is not always smooth, but sometimes it leads to a day like today. A day that reminds us what is possible, what is possible when progress is made, and that the journey, well, it will always be worth okay, it. Okay, I, I, just be quiet. All right, now we have Biden at the White House today. Biden, when he came to the Senate, threw in with the segregationists and the racists who opposed integration 
He didn't want to send his kids into the quote-unquote jungle. Those words never resonated during the election because the corrupt media were so much in his camp. They didn't want to dig up stuff like that or the laptop or you name it. Because we need a historic moment like this where the most radical, extremist individual on the list of individuals that Joe Biden received was nominated to the Supreme Court in a historic moment. Joe Biden, cut nine, go. I knew it wouldn't be easy, but I knew the person It was very easy, you moron. What are you talking about? Hey, I knew it wouldn't be easy. As he squints, as his dentures are kind of moving around in his big mouth. And he knew it wouldn't be easy. Oh, it was so terrible. She flew through. What the hell are they talking about? Go ahead. I knew it wouldn't be easy, but I knew the person I nominated would be put through a painful and difficult confirmation process. No, she wasn't, because she had to ask for her answer for her record. Nobody personally attacked her. Nobody attacked her husband or her children. Nobody made personal allegations against her. You jerk. That's right, you jerk. Go ahead. But I have to tell you, What Judge Jackson was put through was well beyond that. There was verbal abuse, the anger. Verbal abuse? This is the man who tried to destroy Clarence Thomas. This is the man who tried to destroy Bob Bork. This is the man who tried to destroy Miguel Estrada. This is the man who tried to destroy one qualified nominee after another. This is the man who blocked... Rogers Brown, a black woman from the D.C. Circuit Court for two years. I knew it would be hard. I knew it would be tough. The verbal abuse that she was put through. What's a woman? Am I a biologist? I don't know. One of the dumbest answers in confirmation history. But then there's Cory Booker. See, they're all trying to rewrite the history that took place here. Cut 10, go. And so I think this was more than just a normal uh, hearing. I think that when people saw, not all of my Republican colleagues, not even most of them, but when some of them kind of went to lines of questioning that were seeming insulting and demeaning and degrading uh, or just being filthy, frankly. Like what, pal? Like what? Like what? And this is how you're going to be treated too, ladies and gentlemen, of any race, background, or whatever, particularly if you're a person of faith, particularly if you're a parent. You don't want your kids going through all this transgender uh, indoctrination and and, uh, sexualization. If you oppose critical race theory, this is the way they treat parents who go to school board meetings and so forth and so on. But we're never done until we hear from Yamichi Alcindor on NBC News. The idea that this woman, excuse me, That this person is a reporter of any kind is laughable. She's a hack and a fraud and a phony. Right, Yamichi? Cut 11, go. 
That is a, a, a key question here. Garrett's reporting that the, the senator's aides closed the door and, and would not answer questions um, during this historic vote really does say something. Um, and it really in some ways begs the question of, is this going to be yet another hurdle, another unusual thing that's happening to Judge Jackson as she tries to make history and as she will make history? Um, as Garrett said, this vote will happen. She will be confirmed based on the vote count. Um, but it is in some ways an unsettling um it's an unsettling development um in some ways it reminds She's me talking of about Rand paul being late for all i know he was in the can mr producer but it's unsettling it's very very unsettling the obstacles that they put in front of judge jackson we've never seen anything like this they dared to hold a hearing they dared to look at her record they dared to question her about the opinions she wrote and the sentences that she gave to child pornographers and men who use child pornography. They dared to go there. Yes, they did. They dared to ask her about her, her pro positions on critical race theory. Oh, and then they dared to ask her the worst question of all. Can you define a woman? We've never, ever seen anything like this. The hurdles that she had to go over. And now Rand Paul, they had to wait. 15 minutes to finish the vote. 15 minutes to finish the vote. Another hurdle they put in front of her. There's not even a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Oh, but they inconvenienced her. She was ready to go out on the South Lawn with Biden and Harris, and they were delayed. Because Rand Paul obviously hates black women. That's the conclusion you must draw from this, says Yamichi Alcinder of NBC News, previously of the Pubic Broadcasting Corporation, PBS. And she knows, she knows. There's a racist behind every tree. Oh, yes, there is. And poor Judge Jackson had to wait 15 minutes. And the brutal questions about her record, just unbelievable. We've never seen anything like this. If she were a white male, she wouldn't be treated this way. Just ask Brett Kavanaugh. If she were a black man nominated by a Republican, she wouldn't be treated this way. Just ask Clarence Thomas. If she were a brilliant scholar nominated to the Supreme Court, just remember the late Bob Walker. But no, they dared to have an hearing. 20 hours of questions over four days, maybe three, and ask her the tough questions. What's a woman? Well, I'm not a biologist. Ah, That'll go down in the annals of history as the toughest question ever asked a nominee, and they asked it of a historic nominee. So rather than have a hearing and rather than ask questions, there should have been a parade. A parade. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
Have you ever played the game, Would You Rather, with your kids? Would you rather be a donkey or an elephant? That was an easy one. Well, here's another easy one. Would you rather overpay for cell phone service every month to a company with leftist values or pay about half with Pure Talk and support a company who cares about your values? It's time to ditch Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile. Pure Talk has the same 5G coverage as one of those big guys but saves the average family over $800 a year. I made the switch, and so can you. You can keep your number, keep your phone, or get huge discounts on the latest iPhones and Androids. Unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data is just $30 a month. Or get unlimited data and still save a fortune. So do this. Go to puretalk.com, find the plan that's right for you. Then this month, enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, and you'll save an additional 50% percent off your first month that's puretalk.com promo code levin podcast you know it's funny i must get how many emails a day mr even though my email address is private by now i've had it a long time hundreds of emails hundreds from family and friends and sometimes strangers i don't know how they get it Always promoting something. You need to listen to this. You need to read this. Can I come on your radio show? Can I come on your TV? I go, oh my God, never ends. What do you think of my article? What do you think of that? And if I don't get back right away, it's, well, you really should, you know. But are you not my friend? You're ignoring me or this is spectacular. Why won't you listen? Folks, I only have two ears and one brain. And as much as I love everybody, sends me their stuff and so forth, it's the rare email that provides me with information I haven't already seen or contains an audio or or video that is particularly profound. But the people think I do all day. I search for these things. I study them. I crack books. I try to find things that, that are substantive and interesting to you. I, I'm not saying I, I don't appreciate it, but it's simply not possible to read, watch, listen to everything else, and even get my jobs done. It's just not possible. And so it goes. I know, I'm not breaking rocks. I got it. I got it, but it is kind of funny in a strange kind of way. Um, when we come back, when we come back, Ukraine, I hope you're not bored with this topic because it's very, very important. What did the Russians do today? Well, they only slaughtered another 50 civilians that we know of, civilians that were told that they could leave to try and get out of the eastern part of Ukraine before Russia just starts bombing indiscriminately again. Don't forget Life, Liberty, and Levin this Sunday, folks, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a fantastic edition of the program. We have Stephen Miller on, who actually has time to speak, and David Mamet. You saw a little bit of him last week. He's really fascinating. 
Have you ever played the game, Would You Rather, with your kids? Would you rather be a donkey or an elephant? That was an easy one. Well, here's another easy one. Would you rather overpay for cell phone service every month to a company with leftist values or pay about half with pure talk and support a company who cares about your values? It's time to ditch Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile. Pure Talk has the same 5G coverage as one of those big guys but saves the average family over $800 a year. I made the switch, and so can you. You can keep your number, keep your phone, or get huge discounts on the latest iPhones and Androids. Unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data is just $30 a month. Or get unlimited data and still save a fortune. So do this. Go to puretalk.com, find the plan that's right for you. Then this month, enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, and you'll save an additional 50% percent off your first month that's puretalk.com promo code levin podcast can't got your tongue cough up a fur ball and call 877-381-3811 right now from mike levin now ladies and gentlemen what's interesting is what the media often ignore or smear as conspiracies often turn out to be true what took place in Michigan the kidnapping the effort to kidnap the governor of Michigan didn't that sound preposterous to you when you first heard that Mr. Producer they're going to kidnap the governor of Michigan and do what with her like that's going to change how Michigan is governed with the lieutenant governor and all I mean, really? And we've been reporting about this along the way. Well, as our friend at Right Scoop points out, zero guilty verdicts found in Whitmer kidnapping case. The jury rendered verdicts today in the Whitmer kidnapping case against four men who were accused of trying to kidnap the Michigan governor. Remember how that was exploited by the media, the Washington Compost, the New York Slimes, the Trump haters? Trump was behind this. Yeah, Trump and his supporters. That's right. No, the FBI was behind it. And their supporters. So what did this federal grand jury find? No guilty verdicts. Two of the men were pronounced not guilty. And a mistrial was declared for the other two. And of course... The U.S. Attorney's Office immediately said, and we're going to go after those two again, I'll tell you what. Here's CNN, a federal jury on Friday, that would be today, found two men accused of plotting to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, not guilty of kidnapping conspiracy, and a mistrial was declared for two other defendants, Adam Fox, Barry Croft, Daniel Harris, and Brandon Caserta, face federal charges for allegedly conspiring to kidnap the Democratic governor. Harris and Concerta were found not guilty of kidnapping conspiracy. The jury also found Harris not guilty in other charges. The jury couldn't reach a verdict for Fox and Croft, after which U.S. District Judge Robert Jonker declared a mistrial for those defendants. All four defendants who pleaded not guilty faced up to life in prison if convicted of kidnapping conspiracy. An examination of the case by BuzzFeed News also reveals that some of those informants acting under the direction of the Federal Bureau of Investigation 
played a far larger role than has previously been reported. Working in secret, they did more than just passively observe and report on the actions of the suspects. Instead, they had a hand in nearly every aspect of the alleged plot, starting with its inception. The extent of their involvement raises questions as to whether there would have been even been a conspiracy without them, BuzzFeed had written about a year ago. Pretty amazing, pretty sickening. These men could be serving 20 years or more in a federal prison because the FBI set them up to kidnap the governor of Michigan, which never made sense. It's like, it's like the insurrection language. So here we have hundreds of thousands of people gathered in Washington, right, Mr. Producer? Hundreds of thousands. And it's an insurrection. Do you think if there's hundreds of thousands of people preparing for an insurrection that they might be armed up to the teeth? That there would have been all kinds of violence? I don't just mean breaking into the building and hitting cops and so I mean firearms, tear gas, you know, shootings. I mean, an insurrection? Seriously? That's an insurrection. Taking over the Capitol building. We are members of Congress. We were in fear of our lives. None of them were threatened with their lives. Not one of them. Again, I don't defend this. I never have. People try to put words in my mouth because that's what they are. They're Kremlinoids. They're from Tosk and Pravda. Just pretend they're Americans. But you get my point. We've gotten 750 arrests. We're going for 800, 900. But it's Trump they want. That's why this January 6th committee. I'll get to Ukraine. We got time. This January 6th committee. Kylie Kempel. At the Federalist, Nancy Pelosi's January 6th committee is following the same pattern as the evil John Doe investigation. Fifteen months after Congress certified the 2020 elections, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's hand-picked January 6th commission is still forging ahead with partisan theater. The committee has seized bank records of peaceful protesters, routinely made up evidence to tarnish Republican leaders, spied on federal lawmakers' phone records, threatened press freedom, and is now admittedly trying to criminalize GOP's fundraising on the issue of election security, as Molly Hemingway reported last month. The unserious committee has been exploiting the Capitol riot for political ends since it happened. But as time passes, Democrats' abuses of power become more brazen, and they call to mind some of the most egregious instances of neglect of the rule of law and civil liberties in our country's recent history. A years-long and still-ongoing Russia collusion hoax comes to mind. The committee's conduct has drawn parallels to Watergate as well, most recently with its attempts to subpoena opposition records, which would include financial records from the Salesforce database, as well as personal, sensitive information about Republican donors and other party supporters. As the Republican National Senate Committee wrote in an amicus brief, What the Salesforce subpoena demands is for the company to hand over the holy grail of the RNC's internal 
digital playbook. And Dizzy, Lizzie Cheney's all for it. But there's another comparison, one that carried massive implications for national politics and the rule of law. Wisconsin's infamous John Doe investigation of former Governor Scott Walker and his supporters. Remember this? I had to think back. It all started back in 2010, when Governor Walker was still county executive of Milwaukee and running for governor. Based on a report that public funds had been stolen from an annual military event, Walker opened an investigation which came to be known as John Doe 1. Wisconsin has a provision for these legal proceedings called John Doe Investigations. Like grand juries, they're intended to determine whether a crime has been committed, and if so, who committed them. Unlike grand juries, these are not conclusions drawn, these are not conclusions drawn not by a jury of peers, but investigations held by a single judge. Not only can law enforcement subpoena witnesses, but they can issue gag orders that prevent those witnesses from saying anything publicly about the investigation, granting an inordinate amount of secrecy to those overseeing it. Six people, six people are convicted as a result of John Doe 1. By this point, Walker had secured the governorship and by 2012 was facing a union-fueled recall effort, which he weathered and won. And after Walker won the recall election, however, a judge gave the overseeing district attorney the green light to grow the scope of the John Doe investigation, except this time it targeted Walker himself for supposedly breaking campaign finance laws. The DA was John Chisholm, the same DA who became infamous in November 2021 when a criminal he led off with exceptional leniency murdered six people and injured more than 62 others when he plowed an SUV through an annual Christmas parade. The overreaches of the investigation were extreme and chilling. Prosecutors targeted not only Walker and conservative organizations in the state, but also his supporters. For instance, as Kimberly Strassel documented in her book, The Intimidation Game, a 2013 subpoena going after one target, Eric O'Keefe, who directed the conservative Wisconsin Club for Growth that helped with Walker's recall election victory, shows the insane breadth of the investigation. It included all of O'Keefe's correspondence going back to April 2009 with dozens of people whose own names were listed on its first page. Among several visible political figures were also listed lots of small vendors, too. Fundraisers for the club. The government would have been hard-pressed to know the club had such associations, and it goes on and on. The subpoena's demands were shocking. Not only did they expose spying and cover a grand scope, O'Keefe would later learn that in a single day, prosecutors had subpoenaed 29 different conservative organizations in Wisconsin. But they also included gag orders that prevented the recipients of these subpoenas from telling anyone except their attorney what was in the search warrant or even that they had received them. The gag order would have been bad enough for people like O'Keefe, but he wasn't the only one whose communications were summoned. Others had them seized in the form of pre-dawn raids. One of the raids occurred at the home of political consultant R.J. Johnson, except Johnson and his wife weren't home. The only person home in the still dark hours of the early evening was their 16-year-old son, who was prevented by a troop of armed law enforcement from calling his parents, his grandparents, who lived less than a mile away, or even a lawyer. The son was told that he was also under the gag order and could be hauled off to jail if he told anybody what happened. Similar thing happened to Johnson's business partner, Deborah Jordahl, when an armed deputy sheriff showed up at her door at 6 a.m. with a search warrant. 
And just like the Johnsons, the Jordahl children were also subject to the gag order. Just like this committee, the harassment carried consequences, both personal and professional, for the targets. O'Keefe, Johnson, and Jordahl all experienced hits to their businesses due to the cloud of suspicion and the loss of their records and digital assets. On top of it all, carried the weight of the knowledge that they could go to jail. In fact, the investigation also had consequences for the state's entire conservative movement. And it goes on. And that's exactly what the Democrats and the two reprobate repubes are doing on this committee. That's exactly what they're doing. They're turning the legal system upside down. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Have you ever played the game, Would You Rather, with your kids? Would you rather be a donkey or an elephant? That was an easy one. Well, here's another easy one. Would you rather overpay for cell phone service every month to a company with leftist values or pay about half with Pure Talk and support a company who cares about your values? It's time to ditch Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile. Pure Talk has the same 5G coverage as one of those big guys but saves the average family over $800 a year. I made the switch, and so can you. You can keep your number, keep your phone, or get huge discounts on the latest iPhones and Androids. Unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data is just $30 a month. Or get unlimited data and still save a fortune. So do this. Go to puretalk.com, find the plan that's right for you. Then this month, enter promo code Levin Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N podcast, and you'll save an additional 50% percent off your first month that's puretalk.com promo code levin podcast headline explosive pennsylvania testimony explains how leftist money infiltrated election offices in 2020 i strongly encourage you to read it over there at the federalist uh they and just the news and a handful of others are doing a fantastic job covering what's been happening as well as blaze And I say, Daily Wire, Daily Caller, and what's happened in this past election in order to fix it. I know know the media, for the most part, want us to move along. They don't want this discussed. They want this to be taboo, but it can't be taboo. Or it'll happen again. Here you have the governor, who's a radical left-wing kook in Pennsylvania, calling in these groups basically to facilitate them getting Mark Zuckerberg's money to infuse these Democrat areas with a great deal of money coordinating with local election officials and Tom Wolf's office. He's the governor. In particularly five of the bluest counties. Getting them to apply for the grants and so forth. It's just, this is corruption, systemic corruption on a massive scale. But we simply do not have an honest media. They are corrupt as hell. Even some of the conservative media won't won't report on this stuff and won't talk about this stuff. It's, it's, It's shocking. It's appalling. But here we are. Where is Yamichi Alcindor? I assume she'd be all over this, right, Mr. Producer? And... 
Joe Scarborough. Where's Andrea Mitchell? They're all frauds, fools, and phonies. That's why. Morgantown, West Virginia. I love Morgantown, West Virginia. It's Holly. We have dear friends who live there, the Freelings. And uh, it's, it's a very nice town. I, and I like West Virginia. It's your stupid senators I can't stand, either of them. Holly, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for taking my call. I can't believe I'm speaking to the truly great one. My um, wife says that from time to time, I... you know. Well, she's a smart woman. <laughs> and well, am I, gonna I pay just want to correct my... Um, I'm yes. really listening to you on iHeartRadio. I said that, but it's actually 870 AM out of Los Angeles, the answer. That's what I'm wow. listening to you on. Okay. Yes. Good. Yeah. Uh, so I corrected my thing, and I, I want to say, a long time ago, probably more than 30 years, I read a book on the Chinese Cultural Revolution, mm-hmm. and um, when I Uh-oh. heard the CEO of Disney Give his apology. It sure sounded a lot like a confession from the Chinese Revolution. Wow. You are, that is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And the indoctrination sounds a lot like a Maoist China, too. Thanks for your call. Have you gotten your letter from the IRS yet? These last few years have not been easy on the American family. And with tax season finally arriving, there'll be millions of hardworking people and businesses that could struggle even more due to the IRS working against them. Well, America First Tax Group can help put an end to your worries. Just one phone call to 800-806-1299. Hello, 800-806-1299. And you'll be in touch with the America First Tax Group, a full-service tax company that'll fight the IRS and help put you on the path to financial freedom. Their experts can help you or your business with any tax-related problems you may have, from dealing with your back taxes to granting you access to tax relief and much more. Don't wait. Get in touch with America First Tax Group today by calling 800-806-1299. That's 800-806-1299 or AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Levin. Again, 800-806-1299 or AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com. Dot com slash L-E-V-I-N. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. A reminder, please, this Sunday, like every Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Life, Liberty, and Levin. If you can't watch it live, it is fun to watch it live, but if you can't, please DVR the program. You can DVR right now. Set it for every Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, so you'll never miss it. We have a fantastic show this Sunday. I think these programs through. I think the guests through. Uh, it's not just a quick conga line. We give people an opportunity to speak. It is a completely different format, as you well know. And it's pretty funny. Uh, the other week, uh, Mr. Producer and I were kind of laughing because Media Matters said, this is boring. This isn't going to work. Remember that, Rich? It's the number one uh, TV show, news talk show, whatever we call it, news opinion show on Sunday nights, period. 
And there's other good shows, too, on Fox that uh, precede and uh, follow my show, by the way. Um, It's a very solid and fun lineup. I will also be on Fox and Friends Sunday in the 8 8, excuse me, the 8 a.m. Eastern time hour. I don't know anything beyond that. Um, I have reduced my appearances uh, just because uh, I, I need to from time to time. I will not be here Monday. I'm not on vacation by any means. Um, just another minor procedure, if you will. And so that's Monday. And I should be back here Tuesday in the saddle. I do not like leaving you folks. Um, and then uh, Friday is the first night of Pesach or Passover. And so I won't be here for that either. But I'm here all the other days. I mean, I don't take a ton of time off. I certainly don't take vacation time off. Uh, If it's family uh, or medical or, uh, you know, a religious matter, then uh, yes, I need to from time to time, depending on when those days occur. So just so you know. So I won't be here Monday. Mr. Call Screener is going to be the host Monday, right, Rich? All right. He does a great job. He's a great guy. And he's one of us. You are one of us, aren't you, Richie? Just kidding. He's one of us. Look, we can't have libs around here. I mean, how would I get my work done? We have the smallest crew of anybody. I've got Mr. Producer who's the producer and he works the board and I've got Mr. Call Screener who's really the assistant producer who works the phone. Do you think that's easy? It's not. First of all, they don't work half the time and secondly, he takes a lot of abuse. So when you call in here to speak to me, tell him how much you love him. He needs it. I think psychologically he's having issues. No? Well, maybe he's not. All right, Ukraine. How's this thing going to end? Is it going to end? You know, ladies and gentlemen, I've been telling you my view now for weeks, if not actually going on two months, and that is what needs to be done here is Vladimir Putin needs to go, and if he goes, that may bring this to an end. There's a gentleman by the name of George Friedman at a site called GPF, or geopoliticalfutures.com. I was unaware of it. I saw it on Instapundent. Glenn Reynolds, great site, and Glenn Reynolds is a great guy. And the gentleman writes in part, as we consider how the war in Ukraine will end, we must first understand how it began. Russia invaded the geostrategic, for geostrategic reasons, having Ukraine as a buffer state safeguards Moscow from invasion from the West, and for economic reasons, which have often gone overlooked. The transition from the Soviet Union to the Russian Federation wasn't exactly lucrative. It may have increased total wealth, but Russia remains a poor country. Its gross domestic product ranks just behind South Korea, a respectable placement, but hardly where a superpower should be. And in terms of per capita GDP, Russia ranks 85th, nestled between Bulgaria and Malaysia. Economic statistics rarely tell the whole story, of course, but in Russia's case, they fairly accurately present a country that is poorer than it appears, massed superficially by a top layer of the super-rich elite. 
Life in major cities like St. Petersburg and Moscow is luxurious for the wealthy and bearable for the rest. Life in the countryside is something else entirely. Individual regimes can't be solely blamed for Russian poverty. The size of the nation, the difficulties in areas such as transport associated with its side make Russia difficult to govern. And from the time of the czars, it's been the state rather than shared economic prosperity that has kept Russia together. Often this has been achieved through the security services, which are tasked with maintaining state power, not with building an economy. It's a little wonder that the country that boasted the Akrana also produced a president who cut his teeth in the KGB. Rightly or wrongly, Russia's size and inefficiency tend to demand a strong hand. By the way, I don't agree with all this. I'm just giving you what is, what is a point of view that I think is very, very interesting. This has created an expectation that the state will be strong even if the people are poor. There was pride in the czars and in Stalin, the so-called man of steel, but for a ruler to govern Russia, they must demonstrate strength. The intellectuals in Russia speak of democracy and human rights. The people want protection against invaders from without and against impoverishing chaos from within. Of course, what he misses here, in my humble opinion, is all the people they slaughter. My guess is they oppose the regime uh, that is busy slaughtering their ilk. Over the years, President Vladimir Putin has made various gestures at improving Russia, but he learned in the KGB that without a strong hand, Russia is ungovernable. And he knew that there are two types of strength, the kind that makes other countries tremble and the kind that keeps homegrown enemies in check. From Belarus to Kazakhstan, Putin has tried in the only way he sees fit to rebuild Russia brick by brick, and Ukraine is the biggest brick. He believes he had to take it. Russia was becoming restless. Dissents were being arrested, dissidents that is, and foreigners were dismissing it. Strategy and power forced him to act. But the problem was that his instrument of action, the Russian army, was as ineffective as Russia itself. This had not always been the case. As brutal as military service could be, there was a certain pride in it. The Russian army today seems disorganized, unimaginative, and uninspired. The deployment of force, preparation of logistics, and command of the battlefields on all levels simply wasn't there. There was a different sort of Russian army, a bureaucratized one, one more afraid of the czar than of losing to the enemy. Putin demanded a rapid defeat of the enemy, but to rule by strength you must see clearly and strike decisively at the center of gravity. Ukraine had no center of gravity, only a widely dispersed light infantry force that provided no single point to destroy. Although that may seem like guerrilla warfare, it is not. And Ukraine surprised its enemy with resilience and unpredictability. The attacker can respond with brutal attacks on the population, but that leaves the Ukrainians with no choice but to fight. The Russian army wasn't designed for this war, hadn't planned for this war, and it's only brutal counter-civilian action to take, and Putin will take it. The problem is that Putin cannot stop, nor can he reach an agreement with Ukraine that he will keep. This is the key that I wanted to focus on. Every deal except for surrender by the enemy is a revelation of weakness on the part of a weak country and a weak ruler. The only alternatives are ineffective action because the force he sent to war was the wrong force from a country that didn't have the right one. Now, he can reach a genuine ceasefire, but if he does, he's finished. Not being able to defeat the Ukrainians and held in contempt by others destroys the myth of his power. Continuing the war endlessly reveals the same thing. As this goes on, Putin's primary task is to pretend that the defeat is not happening because anything less than victory is a defeat. Every agreement must end in betrayal. 
And as it happens with guerrillas, they get stronger and longer the war drags on. The crucial question is whether Russia has strategic reserves. The army has been in the field for over a month, and weather that's still cold, at the end of a logistical line that is problematic. It's been fighting a highly motivated mobile light infantry force familiar with the terrain. It cannot go on indefinitely. Russia has to rotate its forces. Strategically, it must send more. Instead, it's executing a bloody withdrawal. You don't fight for the same ground twice unless you have to. This means that Putin's war plan is shattered. The resistance has been effective and his troops need a relief he cannot provide. Putin will faint in, will faint in other directions, perhaps in the Baltics or Moldova, but he lacks the force to fight on another front. He can't sustain this war easily, especially in the face of NATO soldiers who so far stayed out of the fray. Even so, he says, I cannot predict what a leader will do in the end, but for now it's clear to me Putin will cling to power and blame everyone around him. But every day the war goes on, Putin gets weaker. Ukraine should not be able to resist. NATO should not be united. American economic warfare should not be so powerful. Putin is growing more desperate. He has mumbled about nuclear weapons, the sign of utmost desperation. But he knows he and anyone he may love will die in a nuclear exchange. Even if he's prepared to commit suicide rather than capitulate, he knows that in order to launch, he must go through several hands. And each of those hands knows that the counterstrike will kill their loved ones. Therein lies the weakness of nuclear war. Retaliating is one thing. Initiating is another. Putin trusts few people, and he doesn't know how reliable anyone would be in this situation, nor what the Americans might do if they saw preparation for a Russian launch. That's an important point. Putin gives up his position. He is compromised and perhaps lost. The buzzards are circulating. So he must continue to fight until he's forced out and someone else not responsible for the disaster takes over and blames it all on Putin. I think that this can't end until Putin is pulled from the game. Hello! Hello! That's been my point, too. Oh, there can be some deal, but Putin won't honor it. Says, obviously, I'm moving here away from geopolitical analysis into the political. The former tries to minimize individual influence while the latter emphasizes it. That gives my forecast an inevitable imprecision. But given the situation on the ground and given Russian internal dynamics, it does seem that all the forces coming to bear on Putin dictate a certain direction. The war will end, but the war is evolving in a way that creates unique pressures on the Russian political system. Because of the nature of the system, the pressure pivots onto Putin. Now, this is not the only outcome Ukraine might collapse russia might collapse the russian army may devise a strategy to win the war a settlement that is respected might be reached all these are possible but i don't see much movement in any of these directions a political end is what i would bet on with the russians taking the short end of the stick and i wouldn't have thought this on the first day of the war but i think this is likely the shape of the last day i think it's certainly possible and i don't think this this can come to a real legitimate end a lasting end until Putin is taken out. And I also think I would add to what this gentleman has written, the Ukrainians need more weapons. And by more weapons, I mean more powerful weapons. They need their jets, and they need tanks. And then Putin loses, and the world wins. And I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, sleep, especially as you get older, is so critical, especially that deep, comforting sleep. 
Go to helixsleep.com, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com, and take the sleep quiz. I took it and was matched to the Midnight Lux. Helix knows that everyone's unique, so they have several different mattress models to match your body type and sleep preferences. Once you match, your mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. They have a 10-year warranty, and Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans. So a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. So go to helixsleep.com slash Levin, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash L-E-V-I-N, and use code HELIXPARTNER20. That's HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long, folks. With Helix, better sleep starts now. A median, his audience, more mass than men. The Superman, Ukrainian, I don't know. Great grandson. Five for fighting John Andrazi. Can one man save the world? That's Zelensky in Ukraine. Let's listen briefly. Can one man save the world in a thousand years? Will they say your name? Or is this and this is a fantastic song. Can one man save John Andrasik is a great patriot. He's a great patriot. As a matter of fact, maybe it was 10 years ago, maybe it was longer, I don't remember. My son Chase, we used to go to BlizzCon all the time at the Anaheim Convention Center. And uh, he was one of the great uh, uh, gamers. And I would go with him, and I remember. He said, we got to watch Five for Fighting. And we went there. It, the place was packed. It was loud as can be. They were great. And so it's an honor, John. How are you, my friend? Great one. It's a pleasure to talk to you. This is a fantastic song. It's not your first patriotic song. And you turn these songs around very, very quickly. Tell me, is this the way you fulfill, you know, your support for these these great people, these great causes, and, and conversely, try to expose the opposite? Not really. You know, most songs you craft, it takes kind of months to write the hundreds of lines to get 30 that people, you know, can sing along with you. But mm-hmm. we've had these events in this year, you know, certainly Afghanistan, that was just such a moral debacle that that song that I wrote was just a, a scream of anger. This song, a little different. Uh, certainly, I think ever since Zelensky turned down our plane ticket and said, send me some ammo, that uh, well, we, we thought this was a different guy. But, you know, Mark, I got to give you a little credit on this one, my friend. I was actually watching you uh, passionately speak early on about Zelensky. And you said, um, we're going to know this guy's name. They're going to say this guy's name in a thousand years. And and that stuck with me. And I was thinking about it for a few days. And, and I was thinking, you know, will they know his name in a thousand years or will his heroism be in vain? Because I think we are on this tipping point of history. And, uh, and after that, the song kind of wrote itself. I, rec- I wrote it on a Thursday. I recorded it on a Friday, put it wow. out on a Saturday. And by Monday, you know, people were, were, were playing it. So 
it is just kind of a burst of, of creativity. But boy, if you're looking for inspiration, uh, this guy's generational. I, I agree. I think he is Churchillian. And in fact, yes. uh, one of the great experts on Churchill thinks he's Churchillian. What do you think? <laughs> I see Reagan in him. I see Churchill yeah. in him. You know, certainly, you know, one person can't change the world alone, but we've seen in history one person's fortitude, conviction, courage can drag the rest of us to the right side of history. Look, you, nobody thought weeks later we'd still be talking about, about Ukraine and Zelensky. You know, Millie said it would be over in 72 hours, but this guy actually might pull it out. But history is still yet to be written, and you're exactly right. You've been better on this than anyone. If we do not support this guy, I, I still get the sense we're standing on the sidelines hoping he wins. But if we do not support this, this guy, it'll be a, a greater debacle than even Afghanistan. So uh, let's, let's hope that uh, good, good wins over evil, but history is yet to be written. And by the way, people want to hear your song. Where do they go to hear your song? You, you still with us, John? Is John there, Mr. Producer? Oh, no. I think uh-huh. I lost you all. All right, there you are. Can you hear me, John? Uh-oh. We'll call John back. We will link to John's song on uh, Parlor and Getter, Mark Levin Show. And if you're lucky, uh, Mr. Producer and Mr. Call Screener will put the song and link it on their Twitter accounts. You know, I'm not part of it. They already did. They're becoming kind of famous in and of themselves, uh, Rich and Richie. All right, so what we'll do is we'll try and get John back for after the bottom of the hour and bring him back, because I, I want to talk to him for this man is a great patriot, and here's the thing. It's important to have people who know how to affect the culture beyond talking, like me. And I absolutely admit this. And so when you have a fantastic singer and songwriter like John Adresk and others who are prepared to do this. It's a big deal. So we'll be right back. We'll get them. See you in a minute. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. And we'll be right back with John Androzik. In fact, we just found him of Five for Fighting in his fantastic song and his great patriotism. Let's hear a little of this song, Mr. Producer. Go ahead. 
His audience more mass than men The Superman Ukrainian I don't know Great grandson of the Holocaust An Eastern heart the West has lost Nail or carry up his cross I don't know Can one man save the world in a thousand years? Will they say your name or is this all in vain? Can one man save the world? Will you take my hand? Will you help me stand still in the end? Can one man save the world? You know, John, we have to find a way to get this over to Ukraine, to get this to him, because I think this would be very inspiriting for the people over there. And uh, it's on the Internet, right, Mr. Producer? So we ought, to, we ought to come up with a few ideas. We will over the weekend to do that. And you folks, you can get it, too. We've linked to it on my Mark Levin Show Parlor site, the Getter site. Uh, Mr. Producer and Mr. Call Screener have linked to it on their Twitter site. I have a better idea. Let's put it on MarkLevinShow.com, Rich, okay? Let's get it up there on my uh, my mothership site, and that, that should help a lot, too. So, John, uh, when you do something like this, you must, you probably don't care about your critics. You probably you don't, None of that really matters. Do you get many critics, by the way? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, YouTube took down my Afghanistan song. You know, they, you know, a lot of folks did not like uh, blood on my hands. Um, but, you know, I, I'm blessed. I'm, at, I'm on the backside of my career. I have some security. I don't have to worry about, you know, paying the rent. So I have the luxury of kind of speaking my mind and not worrying about a few mean tweets. But, of course, that doesn't apply to the rest of the industry in this cancel culture world. Mm-hmm. And have you always been patriotic like this? You know, I don't have military in my family, but, uh, you know, uh, certainly after my song Superman uh, kind of became one of the songs for 9-11, I, I started corresponding with many of our, our troops during the Iraq war, and very quick, quickly I learned how the power of music uh, can be so healing for them, and uh, got to do a lot of USO tours, and, and certainly understood very quickly, went down to to Gitmo, and I remember having this experience in Gitmo, sitting on the shores, literally in the floodlights of the prison there, singing to these 18, 19-year-old kids kind of guarding the prison, and in the background there was a, a big guard gate and a guard tower and a, and a Cuban guard with an with a M-15, and, and the U.S. flag was silhouetted by the moon, uh, and it was a lifetime moment, and I realized on that side of the fence, I'm not free. And on this side of the fence, I am. And these kids in front of me are protecting that. And that really kind of defined the next kind of 20 years of my life, you know, supporting the troops and, and freedom and all these things we tend to take for granted in the West. I guess you know Gary Sinise, I assume? I'm with him right now, Mark. We're in uh, Colorado Springs. Gary's out there uh, feeding some cops, and we're doing an event for a, a Republican candidate for Senate uh, uh, here in Colorado Springs tonight. So, you know, he's certainly been quite an inspiration. And uh, I'm an ambassador for the Gary Sinise Foundation, and 
he said to give uh, you his regards. Uh, you know, he's a big fan of yours as well, and boy, he is the Bob Hope of our generation. Isn't he amazing? Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Well, so are you, John, and I cannot thank you enough. This is a fantastic song, as your other one was, and I very much appreciate it. So uh, keep up the great work. You're very inspiring to millions and millions of people. Well, I appreciate you for the inspiration for the lyric. You know, I don't know if Levin and Andrasik will ever get up there with Lennon McCarthy. But, <laughs> Sounds like a law firm. But we got one, we got one under our belt, buddy. That's very, very kind of you. I can't imagine I had anything to do with it, but you're very, very kind. I appreciate that. Take care. You, God bless, brother. You too. Yeah, he's got what a great guy. Can one man save the world in a thousand years? Will they say your name or is this all in vain? Can one man save the world? Will you take my hand? Will you help me stand still in the end? Can one man save the world? All right. You can get that on the internet, and we will link to it, and I encourage you to get it, and please share it with as many people as you know. And if you know people in Ukraine, definitely share it with them. And I know we have people listening to the program who do, so please do that. I think that would be very inspiring to many, many of those folks. All right, Mr. Producer. Ladies and gentlemen, our number is, what is it, Eight. 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. See, people get turned off when I don't take calls. I can't help it. I can't help it. 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. One of the subjects I'm going to tackle big time this Sunday on Life, Liberty, and Levin is immigration. Or more to the point, an open border. And... uh Peter Ducey today follows up with Jen Psaki on this issue of giving free phones to everyone. I mean, can you imagine? This country is just collapsing. You know, before I do that, I wanted to make a point. And I wrote a piece the other day, and by golly, I can't even find it. It's okay. And the gentleman who wrote it, I'm sorry. But he wrote a piece, you can Google, I guess, the word saboteur and elites, and it'll probably pop up. But it definitely got me to thinking. It's not that the idea is completely new, but I like the way he explained it. And it's this. The people who are destroying this country are the self-appointed elites. The self-appointed elites, whether it's in our school systems, whether it's in publishing houses, whether it's on television, think tanks, the vast majority of the American people who are out there working for a living or who've retired after working for a living or have served in the military, police officer, you name, they don't want to fundamentally transform America. If we had a vote today among the American people, And the question was, are there more than two genders? The overwhelming, overwhelming majority of the American people would say, of course not. 
If they were told what was in this Florida law, that basically it says, and fundamentally, you are not to expose five to eight-year-olds to sexual discussions or information. Do you think the vast majority of the American people would agree with that? The answer is yes. Do you think the vast majority of the American people would say, secure our border, we don't know who's coming across, the impact on the nation's welfare system, health care system, law enforcement system, school system, is enormous, and we have to look out for the American working people and middle class. Do you think the vast majority of the American people would agree with us? Yes, they would. Do you think the vast majority of the American people hate meat processing companies, big meat? you think the vast majority of the American people hate oil companies? I know they're not popular, but hate, think they're responsible for not drilling? That's their business. That's what they do. What do you fear the most? Government. The Internal Revenue Service? Knocking on your door, sending you one of their letters? I can't think of anything more frightening than that. The fact of the matter is, the American people don't support American Marxism. But what they do on the far left is they use elections. First of all, they cheat and lie whether it is their media or their politicians or their lawyers, which is why they haven't put a single proposal out there to make elections more secure, to have integrity in elections. They push the opposite. All right, I got to go. I had a lot to say, but time's up. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hello everyone, it's Mark Levin here. Today I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out by not only supporting seniors, but also by pushing for traditional American values that affect all of us. By joining, you're not just supporting our senior citizens, you're part of a movement defending our freedoms and securing our nation's future. Plus, membership brings you exclusive benefits like discounts on travel, dining, entertainment, and special insurance rates. Regardless of your age, if you're driven to preserve freedom, AMAC welcomes you. This is about uniting youthful vigor with the wisdom of experience in our quest for conservative principles. Sign up now at amac.us slash mark, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash mark. And for a limited time, get a free gift membership for someone who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference, folks, with AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash mark, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash mark, and extend the invitation to a friend or family member for free. You know, folks, there is really outstanding reporting going on in the systemic abuse of the legal system and the voting system that took place in 2020. Each one of these battleground states. You now have the Attorney General of Arizona who's put out uh, their letter. You just go online and find it. 
his office, the Attorney General of Arizona. In Georgia, what they found there is absolutely unbelievable. And a movie has been done and will be issued on that. You have Dave Bossie's movie, in which they further expose Zuckerberg and the $417 million that he poured into the Democratic Party ranks through the back door by effectively controlling these local boards of elections. And now you have explosive testimony in Pennsylvania, the Federalist is reporting on, on how this money infiltrated a Pennsylvania and how the governor and other Democrats were working with these people to defeat the will of the voter in Pennsylvania. I wanted to get to this more. Take a look at the Federalist piece on what happened in Pennsylvania. Take a look at what the Attorney General of Arizona had to say about what happened in Arizona. Take a look at what's going on with the Louisiana Attorney General trying to expose further what Zuckerberg did. Look what happened in Georgia and the, uh, and the vote that, that started to pour in after the election. And keep in mind, the same media that covered up Hunter Biden and his laptop is covering up all of this. Thank God for independent conservative media. Ladies and gentlemen, every Friday in your honor, we play America.
folks. I'll be back on Tuesday, but we'll have the great Mr. Call Screener on on Monday. Also, please don't forget, Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern time. If you can't watch live, please DVR, Life, Liberty, and Levin. Very, very compelling show. I think you'll agree after you watch it. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, our trucker friends, and our freedom fighter friends in Ukraine. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Zelda. Good night, Gigi. Good night, Indy. So many of them. And good night, little Barney. Take care of yourselves, America. We shall overcome. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mom.